Greetings, everybody who's out there listening, wherever you are. This is Kevin Tony, and you're listening to the Uncommon Sense Podcast. Today is Thursday. It is February 18th. And um, we are in the middle of a pretty bad um, winter storm that's that's winter weather is is moving across the country uh so wherever you are if you're listening um i hope that you're safe uh if you have power be thankful if you have running water be thankful uh so i'm praying for those um, who are going without right now uh, who are having a hard time um just navigating the weather man it's 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 pretty bad uh, for a lot of people, especially those in Texas, uh, Mississippi, uh, you know, the Gulf Coast states, a lot of them are affected. So I wanted to get on today. Um, I want to talk about race and racism. Um, I saw a video a couple of days ago on Instagram, um, and I just checked it again as of today. Um, it's had just under 8,000 views. 8,000, just under 8,000 people have viewed this video. But in the video, there's a, apparently there's a Black Lives Matter protest that's happening. And an older white lady happens to be walking by. And we don't see... Um, where the video picks up, I guess the lady that's recording, uh, the lady that's recording the video is also white. She's at this Black Lives Matter protest in support of it. And she starts filming another older white lady that happens to be walking by. Um, she's trying to go into a grocery store because the, the protest looks like it's happening right outside the grocery store or near a grocery store. And so this lady's walking by and another white lady starts filming her. And the exchange gets pretty bad um, to the degree that um, the lady who's filming, who's being filmed, apparently she made the statement in passing that all lives matter. And that triggered uh, the lady who started filming her. And she was following this lady, filming her. The lady was obviously, the lady who was being filmed was obviously flustered. Um, it's, it's insane. She followed her and she's basically telling this lady, like, you know that um, saying all lives matter is racist in response to people chanting black lives matter. And... She went on to basically break this lady down and shame her into regretting her response. And I think if you watch the video, you could tell the lady being filmed, you know, um, she regretted saying anything because she didn't want the attention, not because she didn't believe that all lives matter. Um, so. You know, I, I read some of the comments and some of these people were like, you know, this is Karen on Karen, you know, violence or just the foolishness of it. And 
and I just feel like racism in this country is um <laughs> it's um it's always gonna be it's always gonna be an emotional trigger uh for people um in this country who allow it to. Uh, and I said that um, intentionally, which, you know, I'll get to as as the conversation goes on. But, I, you know, I have my opinions about Black Lives Matter um, as an organization, Black Lives Matter as a movement. I have my opinions about the concept of all lives matter, um, which I intend to share uh, and, and just create some dialogue in in this um in this climate so i have a problem with this video because one we don't see what we don't see the beginning of the video you don't the video starts out with this lady being confronted by another white lady who's filming her we don't see what the lady said. We don't hear what she said to cause this other lady to start filming her. So there's no groundwork. We just we all we have to we, we only have to go on what the camera lady says. And it it got pretty bad. She started the camera woman started, you know, uh cursing and using a lot of four letter words and expletives at this um this lady who was trying to go into the grocery store. And the lady going into the grocery store got so flustered and frustrated that she basically had a meltdown walking into the grocery store. She started screaming at the um, screaming at the camera woman and the camera ladies just still cursing her out, saying, I don't care. You're a racist. This you're a racist. So and so. And the white the, the white lady walking into the grocery store is just like, this is not what I wanted. Like, I don't. You know, this is not how I am. Uh, and so I thought about this, like, why is it such a trigger that if somebody says black lives matter and the response is, well, all lives matter. Why is that such an emotional trigger still? I mean, here we are, you know, uh, it's 2021. Um Black Lives Matter is an organization that started a little over seven years ago. Um, Mike Brown was the catalyst in Ferguson. And the organization was founded by um, a young man. Uh, and I apologize because I can't think of his name. Um, I think his name is Derek something. I have to I have to look it up, but I didn't intend on talking about it this morning. Or this afternoon, but uh, he's now deceased, um, and it's been since taken over by two young ladies. Um, as an organization that is a little over seven years old, um, if if someone says to me "Black Lives Matter" and my response to them is "All Lives Matter," then it becomes a, a, a question of can two things be true at once? And they can. But why are people triggered when that's the response? If that's, if that's the response that, yes, black lives matter, but all lives matter. We, we're all, we're, you know, all living lives matter. 
Every living thing matters. So if you take the, the phrase itself, Black Lives Matter, it takes a special kind of person to disagree with that concept uh, in name only. If I say Black Lives Matter, of course they do. Black Lives Matter. But Hispanic Lives Matter, Asian Lives Matter, Indian Lives Matter, Native American Lives Matter, White Lives Matter. They all matter. We're all here living together. Um, I just think that, you know, as a black man in this country, you know, I'm 41 years old. Um, I've had a uh, I think I've had uh, an extremely good black experience in America. Uh, born in Detroit, raised in the suburbs. Um, I did undergrad at a HBCU. Uh, I'm a Morris Brown College alum. Lived in Atlanta for 10 years. Spent a great deal of time there. Um, living the black, the quote unquote black experience in in Atlanta, um, you know, and I started thinking about what started Black Lives Matter. And it was, you know, the issue of police brutality against black men or black women, uh, namely unarmed, unarmed black men and women. And I started thinking about, you know, as in my life at 41 years old, I started thinking about my experiences over the years with law enforcement. And I've had some uh, traffic infractions, speeding tickets, um, parking violations. You know, I've had interactions with police. And I've survived all of them. Um, simply because I remained calm, simply because I did not, you know, put myself in a position to not respect somebody in a position of authority. <clears throat> I have been, um, I have been in some, I've been in some positions where, uh, you know, police, you know, have interacted with me, but at, at no time was I ever afraid of the actual officer. I wasn't afraid for my life. I didn't fear for my safety. One, because I know I hadn't done anything wrong. And two, because, um, well, no, let me take that back. Um, I, I was, each one of those interactions, absolutely. It was because of something that I did that was against the law, whether it was speeding, parking illegally, you know, things like that, traffic infractions, driving without insurance, you know, as a college kid, um, those type of things, driving a car with no car insurance and you get stopped, you know, um, those are all things on my part where I caused attention to myself I got the attention of a police officer and they did what they were supposed to do. Uh, they pulled up behind me and I remained respectful. 
I answered the questions. Yes, sir. No, sir. Um, and I walked away from every one of those interactions, every single one, without even worrying about what the police were going to do. Now, mind you, you know, the last time I was pulled over by a police officer, it it's easily has to be um, maybe 12 to 15 years ago. Um, 12 to 15 years ago. So, um, and that was for a traffic violation at the time. So, I, um, I, I was able to walk away from that. I was able to, to live my life afterwards and learn from, man, the reason that I got pulled over, man, I gotta, I can't, I gotta make sure that I got all my paperwork in order. I gotta make sure I'm not speeding. You know, I walked away from that with some introspection on what I can do to avoid it next time. I didn't think of it as, you know, this officer is just trying to ruin my day. He's just trying to take me down. He's just trying to, you know, he didn't, he's doing it because I'm black. I never, those, that never crossed my mind. It just, it just didn't. You know, I've lived a long time, not a long time, but maybe I haven't lived long enough. And that's, maybe that's my problem. I haven't lived long enough in America to experience real racism. Um, I have, I just, I don't, I don't, I just think it's interesting how emotional we've become, how emotional the media has helped us become. Uh, and it's, it's, it's truly remarkable to watch. It just, it just is. So, I think that fast forward to, you know, 2021, Black Lives Matter, now a little over seven years old. This is an organization that has collected over $10 billion in donations over the last seven years. And my question is, what have they done with that money? You know, what community have they uplifted financially with that money? What black business have they restored with that money? You know, have they restored any of the black businesses in, in Minneapolis from the George Floyd riots? You know, did they do anything to rebuild the Wendy's that was burned down in Atlanta after the Rayshard Brooks shooting? You know, what did what 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 are they doing with the money like they just holding the assets just to say that they're financially stable i mean i don't i don't understand i saw that recently um nba player kyrie irving uh gifted a new house to george floyd's daughter which i think was very generous of him but my question is why didn't black lives matter do that why couldn't they dip into their pot and donate that house for her? I mean, her father was, he was the linchpin in what set off 90 days of rioting and unrest last summer that we watched 
all across America, we watch these cities basically, uh, you know, at a boiling point. And what was the response from Black Lives Matter? Send more people in. Let's step on the gas. Let's, you know, double down on these uh, protests. And it just got worse and worse. Um, So when I hear somebody say Black Lives Matter, I automatically think of the organization and I realize that the reality is black lives don't matter. Um, They're just trying to line their pockets. I think black lives matter is a money grab, pure and simple. Um, Black people in this country, we have a problem with our own emotionalism towards race. And the problem is so evident that the media understands that they can use that emotionalism to further exploit how we feel, how we respond, how we react to um, different criteria presented in front of us. And I just feel like, you know what, they've been doing it so long and we still don't recognize it. And so, you know, is it fair to say that black people are getting, you know, we deserve what we get? in terms of response from racism, because, you know, the powers that be realize that they can just do this to us over and over again and get the same reaction. And they know that whenever we get out of line, all they need to do is remind us that we're oppressed. Or whenever we start to feel our own, um, feel like we can stand up on our own, they want to quickly remind us that we're oppressed. We're a group of people that is underprivileged. We're we're being suppressed. You know, the white man has his, um, uh, the white man has uh, roadblocks in front of us to stop us from doing all of this stuff. There's no progress for us. And I think it's all a bunch of bull crap. Um, I think that it's a notion that yes, there are some there are there there are some people who doesn't who don't like black people genuinely. There are people that are out there that are abs- absolute racist. They don't like black people. They don't like Hispanic people. They don't like Asians. They're they're they're, they're out there, but they're very small in the scheme of things. You know, again, in my professional career, you know, I started working professionally right out of college and different various entities, uh, retail, sales, property management, insurance, whatnot. And not one time in my life has a white man ever stopped me from doing something that I wanted to do. And again, like I said, maybe I haven't lived long enough. I'm only 41. If I keep living, maybe it'll happen. Um, my father owned his own business. He owned group homes in Detroit growing up. Um, I don't think that there was a white man that stopped him from doing anything like that. So this notion that black people just can't do for ourselves is, is just ridiculous. This notion of systemic racism in America where the entire system is racist. And the irony of that argument is You know, let me go back to that video that I referenced when I first came on. But this video where this lady was talking, uh, was was filming this other lady 
outside the Black Lives Matter protest. So, Stokely Carmichael um, was the the author of the term systemic racism. And if we go by what his definition of systemic racism is, is even the white lady who was filming the other white lady, by definition, she's a racist. Even though she's outside in support of Black Lives Matter, she's supportive of the movement. She wants to see her black friends get ahead in life and not be oppressed. Even in all of that, by Stokely Carmichael's definition, she herself is a racist. No matter what she does to help the black community, no matter what she does to show love to the black community and show support to the black community, she's racist by definition simply because she's white. And this is where white guilt comes from. This is you know, why you see uh, critical race theory on the rise in America where it's getting popular. It's been around for years. I didn't realize it had been around for so long until it became, you know, big in the news last year when the president, uh, President Trump, removed critical race theory from all federal programs. And so that's when it hit the spotlight where the, the vast majority of the country had heard of it. I had never heard of critical race theory until last summer. But then to realize that it's been around since the early 2000s um, and how it teaches that, you know, white people are born racist. There's no changing it. It's inherent in the, almost like it's inherent in their DNA. And I think that that's that's bullcrap. I think that is it's it's ridiculous. Because let's just say that that's in fact true. On, on on a scale, if you have white people on one end of the spectrum who are born racist, it's inherent in their DNA. They, they're just white privilege from birth on one end of the spectrum. Then that means on the other end of the spectrum, there are black people in this country that are born that are inherently destined to fail. They're inherently destined to not accomplish or achieve anything. Because that's the theory. That, that is the theory in America that black people need help for everything. It's why the government comes in with government assistance programs, welfare, the welfare state. Black people have reaped the benefits of the welfare state more than any other ethnicity. Um, it was designed for us. The welfare initiative was designed for black people. It was designed intentionally to break up the black family where you have mothers with children who are applying for assistance being told you can have assistance as long as you don't have a man in the house. So then there's a discussion between uh, family members of, well, we can get this assistance. We need this money, but you're going to have to move out. And I think you should do that because I need to be able to take care of the kids and they're struggling so much. And it sounds good in theory. And so the man moves out, the husband or the boyfriend, they move out. The, ma the father figure in the house moves out so that they can continue to get assistance from the government. And you can look that up. I'm not, that's not made up. Uh, their criteria, this is a part of the criteria for 
being approved for government assistance. So <clears throat> it's just, I think that this is a issue in this country. Black people have fallen for it. And here we are again. This is February. It's Black History Month. Um, we have fallen for this this notion that we are we 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 have we have a right to be oppressed we have a right to be emotional about um how we're treated in this country how we're viewed in this country for those who you know feel like <laughs> they're actually oppressed <clears throat> excuse me and i think it's problematic because you have some people that I call, you know, race peddlers who constantly have to remind black people. And these are black people that I'm talking about. They're black people that constantly have to remind other blacks and remind the black community that we're oppressed, that we can't do anything for ourselves. Um, these are people that they would be out of a job. They would have to find another way to generate income if black people in this country ever realize that we're not oppressed, we're only in our own way to a certain degree, we can overcome any challenges that are in front of us. I listened to a conversation uh, a couple of months ago where um, a group of wealthy people, it was a clubhouse conversation, some wealthy people in um, the music industry, the entertainment industry, these were some rappers some R&B singers, um, I'm not going to say their names, but they were in a clubhouse room and they were talking about race and racism. This was right after um, the incident at the Capitol on January 6th. I'm not going to call it an insurrection because it wasn't. But this was right after that where, you know, everybody in the black community was in their feelings with the whataboutism saying, you know, if that was us that had ran up in the Capitol, we would have been shot. And my thing is, well, why can't we take a time, take a moment to celebrate that it wasn't us? You know, why do we have to be angry about the response? Like if it was us, like I don't, I don't understand us as a community sometimes. But anyway, in this conversation in Clubhouse, um, this group of wealthy music industry people we're talking about how black people, um, you know, of course, we're oppressed in America. And of course, it's Donald Trump's fault. You know, racism just really just reared its ugly head when Donald Trump became president. It just got oh, just full, full tilt racism in, in, at every turn, everywhere you go in America. And. They're talking about how, you know, one of the music producers made a statement of, you know, we had wealthy black communities back in the day. You had the Rosewood community. You had some communities in Winston-Salem. And, of course, we all know the Greenwood community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was destroyed during the Tulsa massacre. And the question that I've always wondered is, you know, if, if black people developed the 
um, develop that neighborhood. They developed Greenwood, the Greenwood neighborhood, the Greenwood district. If they develop that into, you know, a financial mecca, a prosperous community, you know, several black, you know, all black businesses, black hospitals, black movie theaters, black shops, black retail stores, everything black owned. It was the pinnacle of black excellence. And it was destroyed in a matter of days by Democrat white liberals in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Why have why haven't we redeveloped a community now? in modern times? Why haven't we developed that community again? You know, why haven't we seen um, a a Greenwood, you know, 2.0? And the music, this particular music producer, he brought this up and he said, he made the statement that the one thing in common that these communities have shown us and taught black people and this is the reason that we have not redeveloped any communities like this is because Tulsa and Rosewood have shown us that we can't protect it from white people. And I thought it was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I said, you know what? The ignorance of black people, of some black people, is absolutely astonishing. And I immediately thought to myself, so you, you mean to tell me that the dope man in the hood can protect the trap house from other dope heads and from other rival gangs. They can protect the trap house. But if we all come together and these wealthy people put their money in and develop a new community, you mean to tell me that we would not be able to protect it in 2020, in 2021, that there's no protection for a community like this? It's absolute nonsense absolute nonsense and it tells you the mentality everybody in the room was agreeing with him uh saying like yeah you right you right man you absolutely right that's facts we can't we can't protect it these people in these inner city communities they protect what's what's theirs they protect what's important to them and so i think that that's just another cop-out excuse for black people to not try and that has been one of the things that established elites have used as a tool, like we just have to make them think that they can't do it and they won't. And we'll give them examples of why they can't do it. And we'll keep them in a certain position forever. It's like the elephant who grows up as a baby and he gets the wooden stake in the ground with the rope tied around his neck, uh, tied around his, uh, his neck. And the, the stake is so deep in the ground that as a baby elephant, he's not strong enough to pull it up and walk away from it. And so he continues to wear that stake around his neck until he becomes a giant bull elephant. And his mind is so programmed not to know that he could rip that stake up out the ground and walk away from it at any moment if he wanted to. But he grew up with a mentality of this rope around my neck and I see the wooden stake in the ground. You know, all my life I haven't been able to pull it up, so there's no need of me trying. And that's indicative of the black community right now. We don't have, we don't have to try. We don't even try to, to 
pull ourselves up. We just don't. And it's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So I just think that um, this is an ongoing topic because people want it to be. People want it to be an, uh, an, an, an ongoing topic. You know, Dr. Thomas Sowell, uh, this is my favorite quote from him. He said, when people get used to preferential treatment, equal treatment feels like discrimination. And that's how black people feel now. We have been given preferential treatment in this country for decades as the poster children for handouts, for needing assistance, for affirmative action, for welfare, for oppression. And when that mentality is ingrained into our minds, it's in our psyche, and we start to see other groups getting the same treatment that we get, then it's about, hey, what about us? Don't forget us over here. We're, we're the oppressed ones. Don't forget us. And it's just ridiculous. Um, I don't know how it changes. Um, this will definitely be uh, an ongoing topic. I think this will be uh, part one of a discussion on race um, that I'll probably be venting about. So um, I don't know. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Where you, you know, how do you feel? If you want, you can email me at uncommonsensewithkt at gmail.com. Uh, I'm going to stop here for now. Um, and I will tune in again. Um, wherever you are, God bless. Stay safe. And God bless America. <laughs>